take one. Welcome to Emancipated. Was it fast? Let me do one more. Welcome to Emancipated, voices and images from the Tom and Uncle Bradley Center. Hello from Marta Valliere. In this sixth episode of Emancipated, we talk with Keith Rice and Taylor Walker. Keith is an historian and archivist at the Tom and Ethel Bradley Center, and Taylor is his granddaughter. In June of 2020, despite the coronavirus pandemic, he decided to go out and document the Black Lives Matter protest against police brutality. The uprising followed the murder of George Floyd, a 46-year-old black man killed by a police officer in Minneapolis on May 26 of last year. Together with Taylor, they documented the protests, marches and speeches, taking photos and videos that now form the online exhibition titled Confronting a Pandemic in a Pandemic, 2020 Black Lives Matter protests in L.A. So Taylor, Keith is your uncle, correct? Grandpa. Grandpa, okay, he's your grandpa. I didn't know. How did you join him? What Did he just call you up and did he tell you, come with me? How, how did that work? Yeah, I think so. Like the first time he was like, would you like to come? And I was like, yeah. And I have, well, I do like taking pictures and things like that. So then I just asked him if I could take pictures and then he taught me how to just take pictures and how to focus them and things like that. Or b- better yet, why did you go with me or how did you have the time to go with me? What was going on in the world for this to even for you to be with me? Why were you with me? Oh, it's because my mom has work and I stay here usually all week. Because of the pandemic. Yeah. So she was here with me and I was going to do these photographs and I figured she's 12. She's old enough to know what people are protesting about or to learn what they were protesting about. So I asked her if she wanted to go. She really didn't have an an option. I was going to make her go <laughs> anyway. So she started going because, you know, it was either that or sit around the house while I went and did it. Were there many? Did you see other young people like you? There is a lot of young people, but I don't think people like that close to my age. Not really. How old are you? I'm 12. So this was May, right? No, we started in the middle of June. The protest started at the end of May, the first first weekend of June. And because of COVID... And me being in my 60s, I was like, or, you know, 62 at the time, 63, I said, I'm not going out in those crowds. I was a little anxious and paranoid about going in the crowd. And that's why I didn't go earlier. But we started June, around June 15th. We went all over uh, metropolitan Los Angeles, you know, um, anywhere as far south is like Torrance, far northwest is Simi Valley, far east is Pasadena and far west to Santa Monica. Do you have a camera? Were you taking pictures with your phone or? It was mostly just camera because my grandpa has a camera and we use that camera. It's the Bradley Center's camera, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a um, Canon DSLR um, EOS 70D. So it, I use it for oral history interviews and it's a great camera. So we just took that. Okay. So you were taking turns? Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Shoot it now if you can.
I'm going to let her start because I know she knows that information. So you tell us, what are these pictures about? Well, of course, they're about Black Lives Matter and they're about protests, all different cities and things like that. And they're just about how people are expressing themselves through posters, signs, and other things like that. You want to talk about signs? Sure. Uh, well, the signs ring something and people make them with their own hands. And some of the signs are very unique and all of them are like different in their own way. Sometimes here and there, they'll say the same thing, but they're all, they all look different, even though they're saying like, if they say the same quote, they're all different. And they also have like flags and things like that. And the posters, some of the posters were kind of funny. One of them, it's in the exhibition, it's called, it's just a dog that says, bite the power. And I thought that with dogs got a sign on it says "Bite the power. And that was hilarious. Everybody that saw that kind of laughed at it, you know. Did you ever wonder when you were taking pictures of, uh, of people protesting, how happy were they of having photographers around? It was like fun. They didn't like really care. I mean, I would ask them because, of course, that's what you're supposed to do. When we go to the protest on Wednesdays, there was a bunch of people. No one minded. Everyone was just like, yeah, 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 go ahead. Because it's not... They don't really have a problem. And you're wearing a mask in like the first place. You can't really see their face if they were concerned about anything. But no, I had no trouble. Everyone said, yeah, take a picture. Go ahead. And to add on to that, some people were glad we were taking the pictures. Like that one, that particular one where things got a little, Hollywood forever. Mm -hmm. You know, we went up and asked people and they were like, come on. Yeah. Yeah. Please take the pictures. They were actually, some people said, I'm glad you're doing this. Yeah. in context uh, this uprising of, of this summer in the larger movement of uh, Black Lives Matter. It was historically significant in, in ways that other protests in the past have not been. Um, for one, Black Lives Matters, that organization is, was created around 2013. At the, uh, I think it was 2013 when Trayvon Martin was killed. And after that, they've been working ever since. People don't know that they're working even when there's no protests going on. They're working for racial justice. And the difference with this one was that we've never seen anyone 
killed on camera like that by the police in that manner where you are staring into a camera as you literally kill someone. I mean, I, I equate it to many people may not know who Emmett Till was, but the killing of Emmett Till was a brutal, horrific thing of a 14-year-old boy that was not photographed or captured in any kind of way. But the aftermath of his death, his body was put on display so his mother could show the world what they had done to him. This time, in real time, well, it was, it was yeah, it was recorded in real time, and they showed the world how black people have been saying, you know, police officers are killing us for, for decades, for centuries we've been saying that, and, and now people got to see it, and that's a huge difference. These uh, protests, have they been disruptive? For example, I thought of stopping the freeway can be a way of saying, um, listen. Yes, and disrupting the freeway in the middle of a um, pandemic that we have never experienced. None of us have experienced in our lifetimes anything like this. But it was important enough, or it's gone on so long that people literally risked their lives to go out and be amongst each other to protest and to, you know, go in the middle of an intersection and stop traffic or go in front of a police department and tell them, you know, we tired of this happening. Or like you said, get on a freeway and stop traffic so that people will listen. That's another thing that was unique about this is that you have a captive audience sitting at home that really can't go anywhere throughout the world that was forced to see what happened to George Floyd. Did that answer that? Yeah. said uh, throughout the world and in the summer there, there were protests even in Italy where I'm from. What is the challenge of that? How do you uh, take advantage of the fact that it's global and you can unite forces but at the same time uh, not erase the specificity of, of, each, of each place? Well, I can try and answer like this. I have been all over the world in a previous career, right? And no matter where I went, even in Russia, even in Japan, even in Italy, even in Estonia or Latvia, I went to, 
I found black people. And what's interesting, I found sometimes black people from Detroit, which is where I'm from, all, all the way across the globe. Are they encountering these same kind of um, instances of racism? Maybe so. I mean, I've also been to Italy and I've seen a, a large community of Chinese people. Do Chinese people, are they encountering any kind of discrimination because they are different from the majority? I think anybody can relate to this who's been in a situation where they felt by themselves or they felt attacked or or, or something like that. I, I don't think you have to be black to, to understand it or relate to it if you've known somebody, especially if you know anybody that's black. I'm sure they will tell you or you can ask them and you will hear, you know, about encounters with, with people and with law enforcement. So it's it's uni it's universal. I, the only way that this would never have the impact that it is now is if we had never been enslaved throughout Europe and, and, and the Western Hemisphere. We'd, we'd all still be at home in Africa. We let them. Yes. And every time that we fight, we win. Every time we fight, we win. Every time we fight, we win. If this moment has exposed anything, it is that this work, this person that you are becoming, this movement that we are building, it is the only thing that ever truly matters. This will be the work that you remember in your last days. And my job and your job is to make sure that those last days are... Because we don't just deserve to live well, we deserve to die well. We deserve life, long life. Remember this feeling that you have. The, the only scene of violence that is depicted, it's not a picture that you took, I think it's a picture by Rachel Natalicchio, where Berlindo Nibo, she is a black woman and she's been attacked by a supporter of Trump. I would like to know maybe also from, from Tara, who's a young woman, about it. I don't even know, she didn't really even do anything. She didn't do anything at all, actually. And wasn't she just like walking down the street, literally? Mm -hmm. yeah. It's just been unfair. And I know a lot of people probably say that, but it truly is. And I think people need to see that. And I think people also need to see how we need to change this because this is not okay and this should not be going on any longer. And the people who should be doing this, they should be in jail. Oh, you mentioned that there's not a lot of violence, but we were on some protests that did become violent. Oh, yeah. When did that happen? That happened. It's one of them that's, that's at Hollywood and at Forever, what's it called? Hollywood Forever Cemetery is where it started. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then it, we ended up on Sunset in front of the CNN building. Mm -hmm. But it was some violence um, at those. And it felt, that was the first time we had went on a night um, protest. And it felt different. And the people were dressed different. They had on, like, helmets and, and shields. Like, and stuff like that. Like dirt bike or football gear or something. And they... They were a, they were a little bit different, and but you know what? They really did. They didn't do anything. No, there are so many other problems. They didn't really do anything, right? But it's just the other people, just random people, just kind of aggravated. And the that's where the truck drove through the protest and hit someone. Yeah, they were prepared for something you know, to happen. Something to happen. You could tell. I can't remember. Everything was happening at once. It was really, I was definitely. It was a lot of police cars, but it was just, it was eerie. 
It's the best way I can explain it. It was eerie. And then I did another one where it was a group of people in front of the Imperial Police Station. She wasn't with me. And they were agitating the um, police. They were up at the barricade, you know, trying to, to start something. And, and that got, you know, a little tense. That was the one where I think they, they went on and stopped the freeway. You are listening to Emancipated, voices and images from the Tom and Ethel Bradley Center. How do this photo relate with the other photo that we have at the Bradley Center? And then how what you are studying is helping you understand all of this material? It just, it adds to the work that's already been done and the photographs that's in the Bradley Center um, because the historical photographs in the Bradley Center document 1940s to the 2000s. And it's a time of civil unrest then. It's the 1960s. So we have photographs of, you know, Dr. King, Malcolm X, protest, some photographs of the Watts Rebellion in 1965, which is a result of the same thing, you know, police brutality against the African-American community. It's an extension of that. It's unfortunate. I'd like to say it was a bookend and it closes that chapter in American history. But no, it's just another chapter in American history in this country with, with brutality against African-Americans. It, it adds to that that collection that's already doing that. As far as my dissertation, <laughs> it connects it all for me, unfortunately, because in the particular chapter that I am working on in my dissertation, it's how the Black Power Movement came to L.A. And some of the ways it came to L.A. was the brutality of the images that were sent here from um, the South of people being brutalized for protesting, for just being a kid like Emmett Till. It's also... It documents the brutality or the discrimination people who migrated from the South to get away from that stuff encountered and their kids encountered, whether it's going through school and dealing with um, racist teachers or going to a certain part, trying to join the Boy Scouts. And you can't because uh, they suggest you join another camp because that that particular Boy Scout camp is all white, even though it's closer to your neighborhood than the one that's all black. So it was extremely hard to write some of my dissertation and then turn it on the news and the things that you're reading about or you're writing about and you're trying to um, synthesize into this dissertation is happening right in, in the city you live in. You know, there are protests going on while I'm trying to write about people being, you know, killed in the 1930s, 1920s, 1940s by police. So it was actually extremely emotional and extremely hard to do at some points because it's like I'm living it 24 hours. I'm doing it in the Bradley Center. I'm doing it in my dissertation and I'm going out on the streets and I'm, I'm documenting it as it's happening again. Did I answer them both? Yep. They also made a big gash on his left shoulder. They also messed part of his pancreas and part of his pelvis. 
Exactly. But what I want y'all to know, John Horton, my son, is not the only one. It's John Horton's everywhere. It's John Horton's in every site. It's John Horton's around this world. So don't let them make us stop what we're doing. They can't. We won't stop. We won't stop. And just like Kenny Ross' mother said, I'm tired of the motherfucker too. I'm tired too. I've been fighting for 11 years. Hell yeah, I'm tired. I'm tired of this fucked up system that keep oppressing our kids. And that's why we're here. And hell yeah, we glad of Black Lives Matter. We take this movement. We appreciate this movement. Because if it wasn't for this movement, half of us wouldn't be standing out here today. What's your thesis about? I mean, you said one chapter, but what's your thesis about? The rise of the Black Power Movement in Los Angeles. It was the rise and fall of the Black Power Movement in Los Angeles originally. Then four months before the protest started, I met someone from the movement of the 1960s. And she told me, asked me, why was why did I name it that? But it has the Black Power Movement hasn't fallen. It's still going on. It's youngsters still doing it. And I, I honestly, I, I still questioned that. But then four months later, the whole city erupted five months later based on just what she has said. So it's now the rise of the Black Power Movement in L.A. because it's it continues. Can you explain the rise of the Black Power Movement in Los Angeles? It's the same thing. It, it, it rose because of what's happening right now, what we see videotaped. Um, Uh, the brutality we see from law enforcement, the systemic racism built into society that doesn't let Black people who built this country share in any of its rewards, or, 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 or most of us not be able to share in them. So my ma main issue is that the foundation of, of this, a lot of this racism was based on wealth. And that wealth was accomplished for white people because they can invest in property. And the property that black people could invest in was deemed, you know, not as good enough, didn't have as much financial value. So you'd have whole neighborhoods throughout the city that were deemed less than in order to build up and support uh, white neighborhoods as being better, which gave them a higher market value. I think that contributed to the rise up. Then you have police departments enforcing that and, and patrolling these black communities and oppressing black people in this community and taking lives in this black community with impunity. They could do it at will. And we, let me make it uh, clear, it was just not white police officers. It was black police officers doing that too, which I cited in my dissertation, who would kill black people and walk away and, and have no consequences for it. 
So all of that in silence in the black community knowing it going on in other communities, you know, not believing it or having no idea that it's happening slowly, you know, built up. And the reaction to that was a, a black power movement and the reaction to that was a civil rights movement as well. You know, they're just different methodologies of trying to eliminate the same inequalities in the system. One believed that we'd, we'll do it nonviolently and bring attention to the world of what's going on. The other one believed if we have to get violent like them, we'll do it. That Black Lives Matter is a nonviolent movement, but is not afraid to say the structure of this government needs to be dismantled. They speak with forceful words, but I have never seen them do anything violently or suggest that their people do anything like that. But some people think that they're about that. You, and especially when they hear presidents refers to them as, as a terrorist organization, which is, you know, farthest thing from the truth. But if you're sitting at home watching TV and you never really go outside of your community, when you hear terrorists, you think, and, and this is what's crazy about the United States. When you hear ter- the word terrorist, you think of people who are brown people over in the Middle East who go and blow themselves up in the name of their cause. That's what you think. So when you hear a president say that, you think, oh, these black people are now, you know, willing to do that. It hasn't happened. You know, no one has done anything like that. Or it hasn't become something that's regularly done. But these same people don't look at Timothy McPhee, who bombed Oklahoma. They look at them sometimes I don't know, not not as terrorists, but they, he killed over 160 people. But Black Lives Matter has not killed anyone. So how do you give them that label? And it misleads people who don't know anything. So, you know, a part of my, my reason for taking these photographs and hopefully what we try to do is make people feel what it's like to be in the midst of a protest, to see what they're saying, to see what they're talking about, see who's saying it and see who's doing it. So that you won't be misguided by the news and, you know, crazy politicians. Let me ask you something, because you see they call us radicals. They say because we demand bread from people's tables, that we demand homes and roofs over their heads, that we demand clean water and not being executed on the streets for needing help. They say that we're radicals. Let me ask you something. Is that so radical? See, you have white supremacists killing folks all over the country, and sheriffs are lining up. You would think that they're here to protect us from the, the violent people, right? But they're here to commit acts of violence. The violence that is being enacted on our community, you talking about peace? When we say, if we don't get no justice, they don't get no peace, we mean it. They let go of that peaceful shit a long time ago. What is the, I don't get the logic behind them killing us, and then everybody's like, make sure y'all be peaceful. What is peaceful about the other side? What is peaceful about this shit? 
What's peaceful about it? Have you ever heard a gun go off? It ain't peaceful. Murder is not peaceful. How did you end up with the title, Confronting a Pandemic Within a Pandemic? Because that's what it was. <laughs> I mean, racism and police brutality is a pandemic. It's been going on and on and on and on and on, and it, and it hasn't stopped. It is, it's, it's, it's so bad that people, myself included, taking my granddaughter out in the middle of crowds of people during the pandemic, it was that important that it be documented. Hopefully, 100 years from now, some student at CSUN isn't doing a paper or a documentary or a film or whatever on racism and using these materials to show this was going on 100 years ago and it's still going on. It probably will be. And that's why we did it. That's why we went out and documented. So people, historians like me, will have the materials and the resources to and evidence to support what they're writing about. the digital exhibition Confronting a Pandemic Within a Pandemic on our website at csun.etu slash bradley-center. It's curated by Claire Gordon and Keith Rice, and it includes photos and videos by Keith Rice, Taylor Walker, Nicholas Salacco, and Raquel Natalicchio. This episode of Emancipated was produced by Marta Valier. You have just listened to Emancipated, voices and images from the Tom and Ethel Bradley Center at California State University, Northridge. Please stay tuned for our next episode.